if you had to put like a category of but you're probably not going to talk about music right no. or books physical education in general that's a passion of mine <laughs> <laughs> hard left turn okay do you it's play do you play in physical education do you play it's all fair what, Chris? competitive games. <laughs> games have you been hearing my my nose or my beard on the pop screen lately when you listen to I it, because I've been rubbing my nose on the pop screen. I just, I find myself doing it. September 12th, 2012, and now you can play video games on your television. This is Idle Thumb 74. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. I'm Sean Vanneman. And today we are joined by PC Gamer Executive Editor Evan Lottie. Hey. Hey, guys. Hi, Evan. Thanks for joining us. You probably remember Evan from, well, you, you may know him from the internet generally because he's all over that thing, but also <laughs> he uh, was here in the Idle Thumbs office a few weeks ago when we did our um, first of hopefully a few, at least Thousands. a few. Uh, Daisy streams, and it was uh, really excellent. He showed us how to exist in the j- stress-inducingly uh, cutthroat world of Daisy, which is an awesome mod for Arma Two. Uh, and crazy shenanigans occurred. It was super fun. Yeah, we found a bike. We found a bike. Sean found a bike. We immediately. had. It's so funny because after we had the Daisy experience. Everybody was kind of saying, like, oh, you guys had this very, like, sort of, like, serendipitous. Idyllic. idyllic. It was. It was blessed. Really. Oh, my. Every experience I've had since then has completely changed who I am in that world. I've only lived two other times, <laughs> and they've each been different. What do you mean you've only lived two other times? You've only lived how long two other I, times? Oh, okay, so the first time, <clears throat> I was, like, so big on... Daisy after this stream. We right. lived like right. we ran around for hours. Like I was by myself for a long time. I found a bike, ended up meeting up with you. We had many grand adventures. So I, then I logged in as myself and I'm, you start in kind of like the water on the on the water's edge. Mm-hmm. And I took a I took like a few steps and I uh hear like whack. What the hell was that? And then you were actually sitting right there, if you remember. Chris. But you were doing something. Chris was sitting on the other computer in the office. And I take a couple more steps, and I say, like, whack. Like, what is that noise? What is happening? So, like, I take my headphones off, and I'm, like, listening in the room. I'm like, ugh. Like, I crouch down. I look around. And I look over, and there's this uh, this uh, lighthouse. I'm like, oh, I should go to the lighthouse. That's where it's at. The lighthouse is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like, oh, and then I'm looking, and I'm squinting, and I zoom in. I'm like, Chris. Does that look like a person to you? Like, oh, I remember this. Is that like yeah, up and yeah. like there's like this little like maybe yeah. four pixel black thing like rotating? I'm like, no, yeah. that's just the middle of the lighthouse. And then I take a couple more steps. Whack. Like what the what? And I turn back to the lighthouse and get shot right in the face. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so somebody was just dialing me in from the moment I went into the game, and now I just walk through that world in complete fear, like way more fear than <laughs> yeah. I had when you and I played. That's it's turned me into like. A distrusting murderer. 
It's really funny. Because no. you, you just... You, <laughs> Turn me into a distressing murderer. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> These are, he was once a regular guy on a bicycle. <laughs> so you're just, you're just experiencing the procedural multiplayer version of what apparently happens to every fictional single-player video game protagonist, according to the Idle Thumbs <laughs> reading of video games. Yes. Like, yes. this is how... This is apparently why... Daisy is actually training school for video game protagonists. He's a sociopath, yeah. God, I'm so bad at this. I have to kill everyone. Which is actually what Daisy creates, apparently. Yeah. But it's a a belief, which exists because it is true, that every other living human in the world is out to kill you, and therefore you must be the best killer of them all. I'm glad also, though, that Daisy recreates the, uh, he hates these cans, stay away from the can scene from The Jerk. (laughs) What? <laughs> I'm unfamiliar with your reference. Oh, uh, Steve Martin's at a gas station, and uh, there's just a bunch of like cans of oil behind him, and one of them just goes <gasps> and starts and explodes, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And then he sort of walks, and then another one explodes, and then a couple more do. Then he looks way across the scene and sees a sniper aiming at him, but then he <laughs> he misdeduces that the sniper in fact hates cans. Oh yeah, so that is exactly him, the so he tells everyone to stay yeah. away from the cans. That's why when you were describing it, like the pacing of that. Um, so the Daisy guy basically ripped off that scene from. Daisy guy uh, basically hates. Cats. Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. when I say that happened, I meant I was inside of a cutscene. Yeah, it was yeah, based on the I'm jerk. Saying. Oh, cool, yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you kind of you had to you had to do the quick time event where you press the buttons successfully, but then the last one you press is actually the one that just makes you die no matter what. Makes your head explode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But you were saying, Evan, because we when we were playing on the stream, and it's totally worth watching if you haven't checked it out on the Twitch TV channel. That like when we first met somebody. Mm-hmm. As, well, we were talking about, okay, we're going to go into this castle. If we see somebody in there, what are we doing? Like, oh, we kill them. I'm like, oh, come on. And, like, that was a big conversation of the entire stream. I get it now. Yeah, like, I totally yeah. <laughs> yeah. get it now. Yeah. And you sort of, like, enter these different, like, phases of trust almost. And I think, like, per, you know, perhaps for me, like, as an experienced player, I've sort of gotten to this stage where it's more interesting for me to interact with players. Right? Like, even sure. if I'm losing loot, I'm, I'm playing Daisy to have interesting experiences. I'm not playing Daisy to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's right. a, there isn't really a win state per se. Um, You're more of a Daisy anthropologist, sure. Sort of just on the hunt <laughs> yeah. for the human with experience, a, you know, with a rifle, yeah, know. with an AK-47. Yeah, but I mean, it's natural to sort of move from that initial stage of trust and like feeling things out and curiosity to like total distrust. You sort of swing wildly in the other direction, and you sort of, as you play more, may, like sort of end up more in the middle. You develop some tactics that help you deal with people and you know recognize someone who is shooting at you and not perhaps. I mean, like for example. I mean, because uh, Daisy is built on Arma, which has like a really complex ballistics simulation, you're probably hearing the, the bullet crack associated with the sound of a bullet that's actually very close to your head. Yeah. Which yeah. is different from a bullet that is 20 or 30 feet away from you. Yeah. Or even further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole different set no, of no, sound effects. No, no, it was effects. total. It yeah. definitely, like, that's just really awesome. Based on what you read about that stuff in the mm-hmm. military, like, going backwards, I'm like, that's what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's really amazing. Like, Ugh. Also, so, I love the curve you just described, which is basically what it's like to be a human in the world, where you sure. sort of you're a child and you're mm-hmm. essentially guileless relative to the rest of humanity, and you're you're very trusting because your your life is provided for you by your parents for the most part, uh, and then you get to be a teenager and you just hate everybody and you just everything's like you have all these stupid you know beliefs about how your parents don't know shit and everyone's wrong and like every man's out to get you, and then you get to be an adult and you're just like oh I guess I just have to live in this world. Yeah. <laughs> you have to just somehow find like you know that medium of, of somewhere between the two extremes that allows you to be a functioning human without just descending into shit or just being a you know. Oh, I'm at the 16 year old arc on this right now. <laughs> yeah, hey, everybody. Yeah. So when you, I'm just going to stay in my castle and not come out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you play, like, what is your when you have to roll a new character? Like, what do you do? Like, what is your arc? Like, I don't even yeah. just go to town try to find the most basic stuff, and then like, how often do you break through into like a multi-hour experience? Like, it's such a how do you, how sure. So so sometimes when I start a new character, I'm in a position where. Uh, I sort of make the decision that having having a lot of loot sometimes gives you the best experiences. Sometimes it doesn't. So I'll, sometimes I'll just run straight into a heavy, like a big capital town or something and get as much ge- gear as I can, right? Because it's sort of like low risk but high reward. You know, right. if I have if I die, I, I kind of lose nothing. Right. Um, and that's that's sort of like a common common tactic to some players. That's part of the reason like these those big central towns around the spawn points are so. So popular, but after that, like I'm really interested in just getting a group of players together and you know helping other people. It sounds weird, but like that's you, it's like it's, yeah. it's like how does one approach somebody in this game? Because <laughs> yeah. when I approach people, they shoot me in the face. <laughs> like because well, I've been shot. Like yeah. the next time I lived or I went into the game, I got mm-hmm. murdered the same way. But more, it was creepier. It was mm-hmm. more face to face. Yeah, I mean, I, the best approach is just to uh, surveil people, to watch people um, for as long as you can, and sort of judge them and understand them. That sounds <laughs> sounds <laughs> just observe them from afar, <laughs> judge them. But that's what he judge them and then the approach screen. them. That's exactly what he said. Like, I have oh. deemed you worth. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the could, if you had to pin down why you enjoy that? You know, like why why do you enjoy that as opposed to just essentially taking the safest route and just assuming everyone's out to get you like what do you enjoy about altruism in daisy sure i guess uh, i mean because there's incredible risk associated with that yeah, i think right, i mean exactly yeah. it's sort of like i mean daisy asks a lot of you to to sort of like fill in the gaps right i mean systemically there's some stuff there but narratively you're you're really doing a lot of the work with your imagination mm-hmm. and in terms of like the benefit of what what I get from just in terms of like okay the series of events I would get from being the opposite of altruistic shooting somebody it would be well I found this really cool uh, sniping spot and I got this really good gun and then I shot this guy and he, or I missed him it's a little you know simplistic or binary even in that way I, I killed him or I didn't right. or he did this or he killed me yeah. um, I mean all all these interesting things can result when you start interacting with people when you start talking with them yeah I mean. One of the instances uh, I had, uh, one, of, one of the my favorite stories in Daisy happened when I was really new to the game. When uh, I was I was you know running up the coast of the players at night, uh, we were like throwing flares and just looking for simple loot, like doing really basic stuff. And throughout this, I was like uh, typing to him over chat and trying to talk to him. I, I just sort of figured that he didn't know how to bind his microphone key, like I'm, like a lot of new players do. And I, I t- keep trying to talk to him for about thirty minutes or something, and just trusting him the whole way. And about half an hour in, he talks back to me in Spanish. <laughs> so I, I've been cooperating with this guy for half an hour, silently working together for kind of a similar shared goal without really being able to understand each other. Yeah. And that, and then that totally resulted from just trusting and, and, and trying to work together. You know? I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. Part of the reason I'm asking is because I, uh, it's interesting to me. Okay. This is a really, this is like a, a ridiculously, uh, absurd thing to put in the context of a video game but go on uh, no but it's i well just just saying i'm with you um you know people often discuss why why people engage in altruistic altruistic activities when there isn't any sort of direct personal 
gain out of it, you know, especially outside of like a religious context or something where you believe you're going to be directly rewarded uh, for those things in a tangible way. Uh, and it's it's interesting to me that um, a game like this comes closer than most video games can to exploring those questions because they avoid any end state at all. Like there isn't any, ever any just evaluation of how you did in total at the end. There's no conclusion to the mm-hmm. story. It's like mm-hmm. your your conclusion in pretty much everybody's case presumably is just going to be you die eventually, which is how life eventually just ends. You know, um, I guess the difference being in Daisy. You're only probably ever going to die. You're not going to die from natural causes, I guess. You're only ever going to die. <laughs> no, you can die from natural causes in this game. You can get too cold and die. That's true. That's yeah. true. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah but you don't die yeah. through just becoming no, no, old you until your body fails. Yeah, at one point, you don't, when like, you don't have an arbitrary clock that runs out. <laughs> God, that would be crazy if characters did have a limited lifespan. Well, it was really, really long, but long enough that right. like a year in real time, for yeah. example, that would be crazy. They're talking about implementing that as a zombie feature, oh, really? actually. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. What does that mean? So so a zombie, like right now the zombie spawn system is really simplistic. It's based on proximity. You enter a town or get within 200 meters of a town and they spawn. They generate in the town if nobody's there. Um, and they go away once you've been gone for about, you know, a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Everybody's sort of out of that proximity, out of that radius. Right. Um, but uh, Dean Hall, the creator of Daisy, over at Bohemia Interactive, that's over in the Czech Republic, um, he's just talking about the idea of like sort of a, a two-live value on each zombie so that gives them a lifespan, essentially. Yeah. And he's even like speculating at this idea, and it's like a very experimental concept, but sure. of certain servers being zombie-free if people oh, if people work that hard. Um, oh, so people could band together to, to actually turn eradicate. a server to eradicate. Yeah, zombies. potentially. I mean, it's just totally an idea. He has a, he has a ton a long list of these wild concepts he might pursue or not. But that is really bad, especially some of the other stuff you're talking about that they have been floating that seem mm-hmm. like they're going. They would they're interested in or Dean's interested in letting players sort of shape a server. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you, you know what would be interesting if there were if you joined a server. And some servers actually allowed you to completely eradicate the zombies and some didn't, but you didn't know when you were joining them. I feel like that's that's one of the only ways you could probably actually simulate what this situation would be like in reality in the sense that people want to try and wipe the zombies out. But you don't really know if it's possible or not. Like you mm-hmm. can't you can't know for sure whether like if there's will... never a token on it that goes bink or the server or zombie free. Exactly. Like yeah. people, right. so people would just be like, I think we found them all. Yeah. Except there's yeah. one in a cave somewhere right. that's yeah. gonna get you. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of <laughs> interesting. Be, does Day- yeah. I mean Daisy doesn't have? Does that? I haven't played any Daisy. Nor did I watch the stream because I suck. Does <laughs> oh, Daisy, it's at twitch.tv/slash out of thumbs. Does Does Daisy have the notion of zombies actually spreading in any capacity? No. no. In okay. terms of like virally, no. Although that would be great yeah, if that if there if there is a yeah. fixed yeah. count of zombies and you can eradicate them, but then you have the one guy left in a cave. Someone goes and encounters him, gets bit, and then there are two right. zombies on your yeah. previously thought yeah. to be zombie-free server. That would be a hilarious, gross. Yeah. Has simulator. he indicated whether he has any plans of any kind of actual infection or vi- viral spreading? Potentially, um, that seems like it would only be interesting if yeah if there were fixed yeah uh, if the zombie count was fixed other. But could spread or something like that. I'm not sure if he's interested in that mechanically, but sure. I do. I, knew, I do know, like in terms of a narrative, he, he's he's interested in sort of working in these small clues about like where the virus originated. Mm. I wouldn't think about it as a, as like a conventional story, but Dean's brother is actually like a virologist or something in New Zealand, oh, and he's like huh. been talking with him about, about the background of the story and putting it together. But yeah, just just the notion of altruism again. Um, it's been really interesting to follow the ways in which players are sort of 
finding ways to like restore safety and like normalcy, yeah. so to speak, to these yeah. to, uh, to these servers and, and um, that they play on. Uh, for example, you have players that are sort of running infrastructure. You have players that are have vehicles on a certain server, a helicopter or a bus or a, a car or something, and they will say, you know, give me this item or show me that I can trust you and I'll take you from point A to point B. Or you'll have players that are sort of professional medics uh, that will like post a, a forum thread or something and say, okay, tell me where you are, tell me where you hurt, and I'll bring medical supplies to you and help you out. They're performing services in a game, like yeah. com- you know, without any prompt whatsoever, right? That's, and without any direct reward, yeah, bestowed upon them. That's really awesome. It's really interesting. Games. It's it's funny that that a game like this, which the sub the subject matter of which is so bleak, um, actually allows for uh, moments of entirely um, self in, um, self instituted humanity. Uh, whereas a lot of games that ostensibly have stories that are much more that in, that uh, purport to be much lighter than what mm-hmm. the actual story of Daisy is are frequently just literally nothing but, but just war or violence or conflict for yeah. the entire game because that's all they mechanically support. Um, whereas a game like this, which is about is you know fictionally about a very very bleak thing, because it puts so few constraints on the players in terms of any implicit or explicit goal, uh, actually allows genuine humanity to come through. That's really fascinating to me. Good job, Dean Rocket Hall. You yeah. were on a panel with with him. Yeah, how was that at, at PAX? PAX? Yeah, great. we haven't talked about PAX really at all. great because the because the last panel was our PAX. The last panel. episode was yeah, our PAX panel. Yeah, which was the all. morning PAX started. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't actually see <laughs> PAX. Three hours later, I went to the. Uh, uh, yeah, Evan invited me to the PC Gamer, the uncertain future of storytelling. I think. Yeah. Um, it was really great. Uh, you know, the thing that was cool about it was there was sort of Greg Casavin and myself. And who sort of tell, who write very sort of traditional stories, like intermingled with game systems. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, Dean Rocket Hall and uh, Notch. Yeah. Marcus Pearson. Is that his last name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pearson? Yeah. Notch, who build these sort of world systems and then say, go tell a story in it. And then there was also uh, Jake Solomon. Jake, Jake Solomon, of, he's working on XCOM, Enemy Unknown. Oh, cool. And he was telling more of a. Uh, I guess their story is very... That's a little bit in between, I suppose. Yeah, it's a little bit in between, yeah. It is a fairly linear structure, just in terms of, just narratively, mm-hmm. but a lot of what's cool about about XCOM are the micro-stories that emerge right. out of your named soldiers who live or die... Exactly. ...with great frequency um, across those missions or accomplish heroic things like and create an arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it felt... It felt pretty cool. I mean, I really it was neat to see sort of the spectrum of what's being done right now. Kind of all everybody talking about it from their certain perspectives. Uh, everybody was like super duper smart, you know. And I think everybody has a slightly different opinion of their own stuff. Sure. Then you know, so that's always really interesting because I think there's definitely like a grass is greener sort of aspect to where I'm like. God, like systems driven games. It's like, oh, that's all I want to. Mm, why, why am I not making those? You know, and. uh it's it was cool to to have mutual appreciation across across it all, and I think, but I do think that like that that sort of broad for a layperson, right, being able to discuss kind of story in Minecraft, like versus story in uh, Bastion, right? It's it's a hard it's a hard conversation to even have because the genres are so 
wishy-washy. You know, they're so not constructed the way film is. Like, oh, this is a drama. This is a comedy. This is that. This is that. Uh, it's more how do you describe the systems and how do you imagine story being presented within those systems, which mm-hmm. I think that sort of the inability to have concrete discussion about story as a certain type of thing in a game is why people are always is why there's always this. I mean, to name the name of your panel is the, the uncertain future of storytelling in games. You know, it's like, yeah, it's this ethereal, yeah, difficult say, thing oh, to pin story, down. I wish stories and games were better. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, play yeah. games for the story. And it's like, that's the most, right. like, it's just, you've said something that means a bajillion trillion things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is really tough. I mean, it's, it was tough being on, cause like, I think I've at one point and the panel is actually like one of the experiences in my life that, has contributed to this feeling where I've just sort of made peace with wherever story is and just sort of, I'm now just sort of more curious about each individual project that I'm either working on or at each individual game that I'm playing and less trying to like categorize it or like rank it on a scale of how good story is in it. But you know, that's not going to be a broadly accepted feeling, I don't think. You know, I think you have to kind of come to that after a lot of rumination about what a game is to you. I remember Jake and I actually, you remember you got so pissed at me when we were you were playing Super Meat Boy that one time. Yeah, you walked by and I was like, what is this? Ugh, and walked away. Ugh, and I was like, like, what? I'm like, ugh, like, this isn't a real game. I did say something. I was... Yeah, but I was like, well, this is like the salty. pinnacle of what a game yeah. is. This you is know? fucking Super Meat Boy. And I felt like, it's so funny. Like, Jake Rodkin. Yeah. <laughs> of all like the sort of things I've said in Super my Meat life. Super Meat Boy is game. That are <laughs> it's the pinnacle of what a game is. This is Super Meat Boy. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said that was I was actually, yeah, that just is a commercial for Super yeah, Meat Boy, like yeah. in their weird yeah. 90s. Jake actually <laughs> grew a crazy walrus mustache in order to say that sentence. And it kind of fluttered at me. But I'm definitely... That was that like probably a year and a half ago, maybe yeah. now, two years ago. I feel like I'm in a in a more zen place with story and games in general. Wait, so it was the story that you were reacting to? Or? No, but like the capacity for anything important, I think. And that was kind of a douchebag thing, I think, at that moment for mm-hmm, me to mm-hmm. to just cast outward into Jake's face. <laughs> he was very upset. <laughs> Rightfully so. I don't know. I, that, that's an experience. That's a, that was an interchange with you that stuck Super with me. Super Meat Boy taught you a lesson. It you did. You learned something from that Meat Boy who is... I did. That Meat Boy sat me down. Yeah. <laughs> that Meat Boy sat me down. Yeah. Uh, but no, um, what did you think about... It's so funny because I actually don't... Like, I kind of go into a fugue state when oh. I'm in those sorts of things. Oh, me too. But uh, what did what, what was your takeaway from that panel? My takeaway was like, I don't know, it was... To some extent, it was just like fan fiction to have all you guys up there. That sounds like very non-journalistic of me, but to have... I mean, th- Oh, you mean that time when like Greg and I started rubbing lotion on each other's body? You mean that type of fan fiction? <laughs> not, that's not slash fiction, necessarily. Oh, sorry. I misheard. Go to, on. To have, to have, you know, Notch... Not <laughs> <laughs> to have To have Notch talking to, to Dean and just see what they're, seeing what they're saying. Like, as someone who interviews people, that's exactly what I'm interested in. What, what's the first thing they talk about? Because they're both people that... Uh, like indie designers that are sort of mirroring each other in terms of like they're getting very successful very early before their game is done and like what does that do to a person that's true that is a really interesting point about those two guys specifically yeah it's Uh, a weird it's a weird thing and it's probably becoming increasingly common now because it's even possible to be and especially with that kind of game right like that's not going to happen with 
the kinds of games that you or Greg make, for example, no. because you wouldn't yeah, want the, people the to The early play. access beta open world sort of people system collision f- festival yeah. multiplayer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like the FTL guys, for example. I mean, yep. they're not they're not household names or anything, but I mean, yeah. you know, they made a couple hundred grand on their game before it was before yep. it was released. Yeah. Thanks to Kickstarter, which is awesome. It's happening certainly with games that sort of self-publicize, and those are those are two of them. I mean, DZ, when you do something interesting, you want to share it with people, either people you know, like, you know, just by talking to them about it, telling telling them the story of what happened, or you know, taking a screenshot or something like that. And obviously Minecraft, like when you spend this, t- you know, X amount of time rebuilding, I don't know, Grace Cathedral or something, mm-hmm. you want to show it to people. Yeah, I mean, we've had just, I mean, we've had, I think, really, like, strong mm-hmm. story experiences inside of Minecraft that are very, like, Daisy-like, in this, except that, like, no other player assassinated me uh, yeah. early on in the game, but... The sort of like when you're on when you're headed towards somewhere with a certain goal, you make goals for yourself, and then story the story of your playthrough just sort of happens to yourself. Right. And uh, I don't know, like that. Those are experiences that I kind of grapple with because I enjoy them so much, and they, they're the ones that I seek out as a player. That God, it's like I want to figure out sort of like how the stuff that I work on currently can be influenced by that more you know Mm -hmm. i don't know i think about that stuff Mm -hmm. a lot oh i had a thought i mean something something i really admire about minecraft and daisy and like that they both have in common is they don't they don't overwhelm you with information and in fact they give you almost no information whatsoever and you know while while minecraft is not a brutal context i mean i guess there's a day night cycle and monsters can kill you at night and, and that's a little challenging um there's something about being in this totally oppressive circumstance and having to figure it out on your own and like the feeling of the feeling of ownership that comes along with that in discovery where uh you figure out which way east is and you know just just before (laughs) the sun goes down or something and like you know like a a giant arrow interface or something didn't tell you that information you figured it out um that's pretty cool it really is that's really valuable it's something i i traditionally associate with single player games you know like uh a game like Stalker or, yeah. uh, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, to, to a lesser degree, something like an Elder Scrolls game or whatever. I mean, those games give you a lot of information right off the bat. But that general feeling of discovery is something that traditionally I've always associated with single-player games. Because multiplayer games, again, traditionally have so much been about explicit goals or yeah. rounds or the end of a game. Or they're an MMO, which is really functional and loop-based. Right. Uh, you know, The quest um, structure is built to... It will point you east when it yeah, wants you to point it's built for efficiency. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um uh, actually, I want to actually um, branch off a bit if, if you guys um, didn't have any more to say about that because when we were talking about um, not guys like Notch and Dean Rocket Hall who are becoming really well-known with their games before mm-hmm. they're really done, before they've hit like version 1.0, um, I wonder so, – I think that's really awesome in the case of games like that. But I'm actually really nervous about um, Greenlight. Uh, it's so funny. I just wrote down what you're about to say. That's amazing. Oh, really? Yeah, exactly. This is why we do a yeah. podcast together. We've wow. got that. No, here, go on. Because <laughs> we were kind of having this talk this this weekend casually. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's something that I think is a little is is a little weird about a service like Greenlight, which is intended to be democratizing mm-hmm. and to open up forms of a form, major form distribution to anybody. It seems so heavily biased towards that kind of experience, which I I'm really not crazy about. Like the the idea that for your game to have a chance of being on Steam, it has to have a, 
apparently what seems to be a pretty high level of awareness relative to hundreds and hundreds of other games um, that are currently on green light, you know, able to be voted up. Um, and if you are making a game like Amnesia or something where you absolutely would not want to share any of that game until you absolutely had to because a huge part of that game is maintaining as much surprise as you possibly can for the player. Um, it seems like you're just you're just at a straight-up disadvantage almost no matter what. Yeah. Like, if those guys didn't already have a name, they could make a game that is easily, clearly, I mean, obviously, completely Steam-worthy. And if someone in developer relations at Valve just let it up and build and play it, which is the traditional method, it would be clear without a doubt this game is worth being on Steam, obviously. Uh, and I wonder what you guys think about that because I feel like a team like that, their chan- their chances are just a little bit sabotaged or they have to probably market their game in a way that is not how they would want to at all. Yeah, uh, no, I noticed. mean, that's like, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, Amnesia is sort of the example that we were talking about this weekend. And the thing is, it's so much about a game where you uh, are holding back a lot of the story and holding back a lot of the creative for the consumption of it. Like you, maybe you put out a trailer, but you want that trailer to be sort of highlight maybe an art style or yeah, it's like something enigmatic about enigmatic the specificity. Was exactly what i was going to say yeah you you want to be able to so much of that type of experience and very like this the game steve is working on is a great example absolutely yeah, yeah which is a very like i mean it'll be interesting to see what he has to do for that game. yeah mm-hmm. um you want to be able to control you want to be able to dole out those those breadcrumbs you want to be able to like you know okay we're going to release these screenshots we're going to put out this trailer we're going to say this about the game we're going to you know you want to okay we're going to make these people play it and see if they you know like however you want to soft launch an indie game you know we want to sort of get you know people such as yourself evan to evangelize it in its pre-release phase you know um 30 flights of loving is a great example the yeah. trailer we get, we, what the what yeah. <laughs> how would 30 flights of loving if it wasn't a blendo game yeah. if it was just a weird weird thing which is even exactly as a blendo what it game is. honestly that guy yeah. is, again he's also not a household name you know i mean it's like how does that you know where does that land i mean i feel like we got in on like just <laughs> before the you know, sort of calm before the storm we got that game up on steam because um we weren't sure if we we're gonna end up on steam or not and it was you know because it was because someone at Valve played it and actually responded to the email where, where the build was sent in, and they said, "This is great. We would love to have this on Steam." Um, but there's no, there's, it would be very difficult to to pitch that game to a public in a way that one is convincing that thousands of people will need to all want right. to. Do you want to do you want to spend five dollars for this yeah. thirteen minute right. uh, narrative experience? Right. And well, that, well, what is the first everything? comment like, on the Greenlight page? Like, thirteen minutes. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> but even saying thir- yeah. like even. Even the amount of information you have to give someone for them to know it's 13 minutes means you're probably spoiling a lot of what's oh, absolutely. a lot of the awesome experience of playing that game, which is more than anything. Like that game, probably more than any game I've played in like a year or more, is about nothing more than the surprise of the first. I mean, there's a lot of depth once you play it a few times in terms of what's going mm-hmm. on narratively, but like but just having that stuff wash over about, you yeah. in that first playthrough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. first, I mean. That's one of those things. I'll never forget the first time I played Thirty Flights of Loving. Like I'll never forget it. With that feeling of like, what the what? Yeah. And the, what even, the what? Even, <sighs> even the first time we played it, which was a broken ass dev build, right, it yeah, was yeah. like just that con. Like the fundamental concept of the game was enough to be shocking. Right. It was really surprising. And the thing is, is the I mean, the thing that was so enjoyable about it for us is we were in such a unique, like never going to happen for most people situation, yeah. where we played this dev build and said. 
this is going to be something really special. Yeah. I can't wait till it's done and we get to show it to the masses. We get to show it to the world. Mm -hmm. Like, gosh, when Brendan gets this thing done, amazing. And then we just kind of got excited about its possibility, right? And this is the thing that drives me fucking crazy about Greenlight is that that now that experience is then now completely shared with everybody. So it's all like it's it's going to grow up in a very expected way. So when people, play, you know, I mean, like, because that's what they would say, like, to your point, you said, oh, the first time you played that really rough build, you knew it was something special and it had to be made. Great. Like, if you know, I imagine the line from from uh, Greenlight is. So put that build up with the green light submission and people will play it and yeah, be really into it. It's like, exactly. Right. Yeah. So then you're just robbing people of that coming at it from nothing. Like I, that was also part of my emotional experience when I first played the, the really rough build was, Oh, I wish I was a stranger. Yeah. I oh, wish absolutely. I was just coming to me well, and you with a bow crazy? on top. You can Ugh. see that like there's, um, let's plays of that game on YouTube, which Brendan, I started looking up cause Brendan, Brendan mentioned them to me. Oh, he mentioned, he showed the, he linked to the, oh no, I did, I did. <laughs> Sorry. The, what's his name? <laughs> Sorry, I got myself confused with Brendan. I couldn't, oh, maybe he did. <laughs> the, what's his name? Total Biscuit, who does a lot of those. Oh yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't the one I'm thinking okay. of, but I, I mean like let's plays from just, just dudes on the okay. internet, just people with like 40 views on their YouTube channel. Um, and, and, uh, a couple of them were aware of it through idle thumbs, but like I saw one, for example, and I'm, I'm sure there were several like this. Where this guy was just like, all right, I literally have no idea what this is. I saw this game on Steam for $5. I don't know anything about the guy who made it. I don't know anything about this thing. Whatever. Five bucks, why not? And he played it. And it was crazy watching him play through it and have all of those surprised experiences in real time as he was having them, knowing nothing about it. He knew nothing about the game mm. at all. Because all he did was click a link and buy it completely done. You know, if, he, if, if that game was on Greenlight right now and he had encountered it by just clicking through a Greenlight page... Boo! Like it just seems right. way lame. Also, I, um, I mean, yeah, yeah. That guy could still easily never go to Greenlight or find it. Right? Of course he could. That's absolutely true. But the thing is, but the people the, who are going to be greenlight greenlighting this game are the people who are going to enjoy exactly. appreciate that experience Those are the, most the most. Enthusiastic people yeah. who are most interested in. Oh, it's the worst! It's the worst of all things. Well, it's the worst of all things, but I'm not crazy about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see if people figure out a way. Well, I mean, and this. Whether this is positive or negative, I wouldn't try to say, although my instinct is negative. Um, but if people are just going to find what works on Greenlight that isn't deploy everything. I mean, the same way sort oh, of... of course. Like, I don't, over, yeah. the, over the existence of Kickstarter, what a successful Kickstarter video sure. is has sort of congealed into a pretty specific what you show, what you don't show, what you tell, what you don't tell, how much information you give, yeah. sort of what you present, and... Um, I imagine that Greenlight is going to eventually sort of boil down to I, a specific thing that is probably not upload your dev build of a 15-minute no, game. You're, you're you completely know. right, and I agree. But I still think there are a lot of kinds of games that if the if the person making them doesn't need to resort to something like Kickstarter to get it made, they shouldn't have to do a Kickstarter-like thing to get it on Steam. Like, yeah, if traditionally oh, there's, an there's actual gonna, human there's, could have just approved it. Yeah, there's going to be a gross weird bias that would show up on yeah. imagine. Yeah. Well, the other question is like, how well does an indie game maker also need to be an indie game marketer now? Right. And I mean, maybe that, I mean, that maybe if you look at it from the flip I mean, side, for most indie games, regardless of steam green light, that's true. It just means a very different thing than what it's going to mean right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm totally fine with, so valve right now, well, not now anymore, actually, but they used to have a, just a more general policy, which was they, you sometimes you'd send them a thing to their dev relations team and they would say, well, we're it's possibly interesting, but we want to see a little more evidence that people are into this. And like 
fine. Then you can go sell it through your own website, do whatever, like, as a finished, you know, do whatever you need to as a finished game, not having to, like, sell your idea. And then mm-hmm. if Valve sees evidence of of it being a worthwhile thing, then they'll put it on Steam. But what I, is- that seems to me totally fine. What I'm not crazy about is, go, is, is Greenlight, where you have to, like, build a whole campaign that is entirely targeted around one marketplace uh, to just as this whole thing you've got to manage and, like, attract votes for and this and that. It just seems really... Well, like- like a weird sidetrack. Do you know Dave Gilbert the, of yes. Wadget Eye Games? He makes like uh, reasonably well-known amongst sort of the indie game community PC adventure games. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty lo-fi, but they've got a pretty dedicated following. And like he's been able to be self-employed doing that full-time for like five years. Yeah, He couldn't get on Steam for four and a half of those years because they just said your stuff looks too lo-fi. It looks too retro. Um, we don't care, whatever. And then one game that he published from another developer got into the IGF. And I apparent, I think that Steam, if you're in the IGF, you, you're very easily received into Steam because they sure. like yeah. Yeah. having IGF stuff there around IGF time. Mm-hmm. And that was the only way, I think, that that guy was ever able to get an in, um, despite the fact that he had a big community. He'd been written up on Rock, Paper, Shotgun over and over again. He'd been interviewed, but just yeah, yeah, yeah. because... Someone at Steam didn't like, I think at least, didn't like the aesthetic or the genre yeah. of adventure games that look like old adventure games. Um, nothing happened. So yeah. that when like, as far as Greenlight goes, I'm generally not excited by it. Like, I would much prefer that a person existed and like the way that Steam's been doing it for a long time. I personally generally like, but also I always think of that dude who's been a successful yeah. indie game maker for the good part of a decade who has a loyal fan base who always ask for the games to be on Steam and like they just weren't and they weren't and they weren't and they weren't and they weren't. But if Greenlight had existed two or three years ago, he would have probably been on Steam two or three years yeah. ago because he had a moderate sized fan base, but I'm sure enough to put that game up over the hump to get to get in, but that just wasn't working with a human filter. Right. And um, I, that's a really good point. And that's that, that's absolutely I completely agree with you as that's has been a huge failing uh, of Steam submission process for years, and that's you're totally correct. And I like, I'm, we've probably even talked about that on Idle Thumbs before, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it is very frustrating. Um, what I, how I wish they would have solved that, because they're Valve, and I know they could afford to, is just hire an actual dev relations team with an interesting breadth of taste and, yep. and willingness to check out interesting things. I would, I, I don't, I feel like if this was some others, if this was like GOG or a really small thing like. Uh, Green Man or whatever, Green Greenhouse or whatever, Green Man, God. <laughs> you know, like uh, Desura, something like that. Um, I feel like I would be a lot less bothered by the Greenlight approach. But I feel like because Valve is a company that, if they wanted to, they could easily afford to uh, to maintain a more curated selection process that I think could actually benefit small. Um, risky developers more than this could. Yeah, um, it bums me out that they're not doing that. I mean, Valve gets Valve gets interested in certain ideas, yeah. and one of them right now is automation. You yeah, can see this. In, sure. You can Absolutely. see this evolve from Team Fortress Two and all of its community content from other games, where uh, you don't really ha- they don't really have a TF2 dev team. It's, it's pretty skeleton at this point because all their users are generating content. They're generating maps and they're generating items, and that keeps the game going. They do these special events where they roll out like sort of big flagship pieces of content uh like like man versus machine mode and whatnot but beyond that it's really driven by, by the community and i think i mean I, the problem that Greenlight is solving from Valve's perspective i think is it's marketing because 
these any you know they've, they've been releasing any games for i don't know four or five years now on steam like you know a considerable considerable quantity of them and lately there have just been tons of them honestly over the past couple of years and they get lost in the shuffle so quickly partly because of like navigation flaws in steam and it's hard to find things or it's hard to discover things i guess i should say that's kind of the key word here so by giving a platform to indie developers where they have to rally support where, where their supporters have to rally support and create videos and build a campaign when that game's ready to go to market they have something that's already popular and ready to spread further and that's a lot that's the case for a lot of indie games i think honestly i mean like stuff like i don't know the the digital the pc version of the ticket to ride board game released on steam like a month ago like that's like how are you going to find that on steam if you want to play that i don't know i mean that's not something that you stumble into in the current version of steam you know what i'm saying um, I guess I feel like discoverability on Steam is better for me than on most digital platforms. Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I think discoverability on most digital platforms is like painfully bad. Oh, it is. I think so. Steam I think is Steam, than most of them. Steam is is the winner of a, of a race of like unimpressive sprinters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sure. I, you know, yeah. yeah, but but what you're describing though yeah. is still just external. Like, you. I mean, what what would Greenlight do to make the Ticket to Ride PC version? more discoverable on steam or are you just saying it would make it more externally visible because they would have a trailer and all this stuff yeah i guess like I, which i think my concern with all of this is like i actually think in general having a good automation based infrastructure for this much content makes a ton of sense like i i fully agree with that um but the the concern that i have with it is i think that when you have an automated system like that you as the human beings who work at the provider of the automated system have a historical tendency to become increasingly disconnected from those who are putting the content into that automated system. Like um, if an issue ever comes up with uh, anything on the iTunes app store, good fucking luck. And like you hear yeah. the same thing, like anyone who tries to do tech support through Google, developer relations through Google, like anything. Let's where it's say like, you host a podcast on the iTunes yeah, store. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where – I, I think that it has a tendency to create a really, really wide divide between those who are already effectively whatever industry in, in question is equivalent of AAA developers are and then the entire rest of the world. Like it creates a weird 1%, 99% issue where sure. like if you've got a rep at Steam, you're already bypassing that shit. So it's not an issue. And if you don't, um, in the past – you probably still were able to pound down the door of a rep who would at least say, I'm sorry, we don't give a shit about your game. Whereas now, no matter who you are, unless you're effectively, I was going to say EA as an example, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, say Activision. Right. Any major publisher. Yeah, or whatever. Um, I hope, like, I guess the optimistic version of this is it seems like right now out of the gate, Steam is making changes and adapting to the demands of what's going on with Greenlight, but I hope that that extends out to thinking about the fact that they may need to continue to employ humans in this process, maybe even increasingly aggressively. Like Even if they have this amazing infrastructure, if they don't have the human element inside of it, it's going to fall apart because you can trust a system to do a lot of this stuff, but the places where things fall through the cracks are the places that eventually flip people out and drive them away. And... Um, like it seems like a lot of automated systems fail in that regard. And also, that's what, like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just, I think of valve as well. I, in the nineties, I thought of valve as this weird monolithic silent entity, but yeah. in the last like 10 right. years, valve has done a fantastic job of becoming the people of valve. Like we're 
all the best at this we can possibly be. We're these, we're the, like the pinnacle of the craft of whatever it is that we're doing. But I'm, but with Greenlight and also weirdly with the new community stuff they've been putting out on Steam, it feels like they're leading, not following. And it's really like, I'm worried because I feel like I see. Following, not leading? They're following, not leading. Sorry. (laughs) Yes, they are following. I I fear that they're following, not leading. Like, I worry that I'm going to see Valve fall into pitfalls that anyone whose primary industry is the things they're getting into, like online community or like um, systems based developer relations. Like these pitfalls of crowdsourcing, they, but it's, yeah. it's things that have occurred in the past, not inside of games, and I'm I'm worried that like well, Valve is building for the App Store, for example. Sure, but right? like, like d- that's... game developers don't usually build them. Some of them have to interact with them. I mean, like there are companies whose job it is to create these big pieces of infrastructure, and we've seen Google, Amazon, Apple, oh, I see what you're saying, um, Microsoft. Um, I guess Microsoft is the one place where maybe that line has been crossed internally before, but I see Valve doing it. And I, I wonder, like, Valve has best in breed everything on the game dev side. And Steam has always felt like it existed because it did. And then they sort of shorted it up. And I was hoping that when they started announcing all these new initiatives, that I was just going to have my face ripped off by how they're solving all of, the, all of some other industries' problems. But instead, I'm concerned that they're bringing other industries' problems into ours. And that's, um, that's you know, we'll see. But, like... The optimist in me hopes that they're observing this and going, where did other people fuck this up? But um, the pessimist slash well, realist in me is going, Ugh. The fact that they launched it and then course corrected with the feed like the next the day, right. that's oh yeah. not very... No, yeah. that's not that, was, that was messy. Confidence. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you what don't do you, know what do you, you're going to get flooded. Yeah. Well, it speaks to what Jake was saying, that they're not even willing to put a person between them and the system, between you know game developers in the system or griefers in the system. Oh, they'll put Ben Franklin in between them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is for charity. I, I guess they're saying it goes to Child's Play or something. Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, I guess great. that makes sense. Um, but they're not even willing to, to sort of filter these initial, like, you know, is, is this a game or not? Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, Wow. It's tough because I feel like I mean we don't need to beat this to death because I'll try to say my, make my point without recounting anything we've already said because I think everybody's made really like I agree with everything that's been said I don't know and I think the thing that maybe we leap at because we are I feel like at least with the three of us and out of thumbs are so into the power of like the curatorial of going out and saying hey look I went and mined this 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 hill and I came back with this gem. It's totally worth your time. Go and sort of like what that means from a person to person interaction standpoint, and how that's a really like powerful thing in the world of everybody can be a filmmaker and everybody can be this and everybody can be that and everything's crowdsourced. Um, and it's troubling <laughs> that that's not part of the equation at all, because I think they actually had some of the systems in place to do that. Like when I see game recommends, the game recommend system that they have from people on your on your list is spectacular. You know, like, I love that. When somebody says, just writes three paragraphs about something, it's like they took the time to put all that on Steam about a thing that I would have never looked at. I look at that thing. And, like, so that system is already built in there, and I don't know how they couldn't have taken that. Like, maybe they're trying to with the community stuff. They're failing, I think. It's not working. Like, I don't know. That's The community pages are not working for me, at least. No, 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 it's no. troubling, you know. And especially when you're the le- Like, when you have 5 million daily users and 50 million active users that you don't at one point say we're rolling out this giant initiative. If we change something, if we impact the sort of the ecosystem of how games can be released, it's going to impact the industry. 
And I feel like sometimes Valve puts things out, especially on Steam, being like, whatever, we'll just try it and see how it works. But like, Well, and the frustrating thing is it's not going to affect... The, as as Jake sort of implies, it's not going to affect the big companies in the industry. No, but where do you it's draw only, that line? It's like it only can affect the small, the smaller guys who are the ones who can least afford to have big weird constraints, right? Uh, you know, put. But also them. the ones that are going to figure out where we're headed, right? You know, nobody's right. looking towards Activision to like make the game of the future. No, certainly not now. You know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. video games. Games. I was going to say we should take a break, but since we're talking about Steam, do we want to talk about the big picture mode for half oh, a yeah. second? This is a thing that I'm much happier about. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah, big cool. Well done. Yeah, I mean, that just came out a Sorry, few hours. Sorry, Valve, we just... <laughs> yeah. They actually just turned off the podcast like, fuck yeah. Idle Thumbs. <laughs> Never fucking listen to that again. I mean... But I'm not come back. I have super strong feelings about all the community and Greenlight stuff that Valve's doing, but I still also, like, I feel like there is some sort of thought behind it, and I'm just, I feel like I have to be hopeful because what I'm seeing right now is I'm personally finding frustrating. I find your optimism infectious. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if optimism is hoping things will be good. I think it's believing things will be good. Full of hopefulness. Yeah, that's true, I guess. I am hopeful. And I would like to soon be optimistic. Um, <laughs> Upgrade. But big picture mode, I'm I'm actually really it's also into. also called big picture mode. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it a is. great, yeah. hilarious name. It's fucking yeah. good. I don't know. That's, I like it um, a lot. I mean, that just came out today, but it'll or the beta just was launched today. It'll be out for a couple days by the time this episode's out. But it's Valve's new interface for Steam they've been talking about or hinting at for like years. Yeah. But it's for... Um, Basically, for browsing your Steam library and the Steam community through uh, a television interface or just a full screen interface um, using using a gamepad, feels Although, a lot like Plex. You can use your it, it feels well. like Plex, which also, I mean, it feels like any console yeah. interface that you've ever used. Yeah. Like it's it, a pretty standard. It's a pretty standard mode for that kind it's, of thing. Yeah, it's modeled. It seems like it's most closely modeled yeah. on the Xbox 360 interface. Although I find it way less cumbersome than the Xbox yeah, 360 well, it's interface. Well, not full of X body spray ads and shit. So yeah, that's yeah. Good. <laughs> gosh. I hate ads presented like content. I hate ads. Oh, God. It's the worst. Oh, oh, it's so so sad. (laughs) Sorry. Go on. It's such a sadness. Oh, so I was trying Axe Body Spray. Yeah. I was going to say. Oh, from Steam? The new beta? Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I signed up for this. Well, I heard that that Valve's getting into hardware, and it turns out (laughs) that what they're doing, um, it's really PC-centric, though. Like, it fits in, like, a large bay on a standard PC case. (laughs) Okay. um, like nice. a lot of people, they've noticed that optical drives that in the Steam hardware survey, they've noticed that fewer and fewer people have oh, optical yeah, drives. Yeah. So they figured I'll use that All for an X body display. Well, they, they also noticed that PC gamers, um, unfortunately, <laughs> stereotypically smell. So um, well, we were just at PAX last week. Whatever. Sorry, PAX dudes. It's kind of stinky in there sometimes. That's God, a, if only they'd gotten this beta out in time for the BYOC. If only the big picture <laughs> mode with the new valve, the new valve box, which it turned out was yeah, just a SATA-based X body spray deployer <laughs> um, had been released. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that twist from... Uh, oh, man. Yeah, Gabe said, we're not building a Steam box, but what he did not say was, uh, we're not building an Axe Body Spray deployer that uses uh, the, the not, serial not ATA building. interface. What do you guys think about the, the handshake mechanism they have in there that allows you to only use the Axe Body Spray deployer with Axe Body Spray deployer with uh, Steam Big Picture mode? It was But not with competing... Uh, <laughs> you won't find this on GOG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because that's that's a total software thing. They could easily support an open standard. Well, for... GOG only releases classic packaging Old Spice sticks. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, what are we talking about? Big picture mode. It's Probably real. games. On the GOG Menon sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> as well. Partner. 
Oh man, Gog Menon is a weird, gross Gog combination Menon. of Gog syllables. Menon Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> that merger uh, happened. Um, big picture mode is cool. It's really great. Yeah, it, has, nice. it does a lot of. Uh, the problem is, I don't see myself using it. Exactly, it was I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah, it's cool, but are you just fascinated by? It or are you actually going to? Well, are you guys it? saying you're not going to use it because you don't want to hook your TV up to a computer? Or you're not, I mean, you're computer Here's up the to thing, TV or because in the living room in which Sean and I uh, live, we don't live. We in live the in a living room together. <laughs> the living room, the house <laughs> that we cohabitate in. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not that's not getting better. There's a living room. In my house. That we are equidistant from. <laughs> it has a Mac Mini plugged into it, uh, which uses Lion, like, OS X full screen mode. We switch between apps. We have, like, yeah. there's a media player on there. There's a full screen web browser that's always running. I could easily see the Mac version of Steam running in that mode just for loading up the few games that we ever play on that thing, which are infrequent. But um, Torchlight 2 is going to be on Mac, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But, but just, maybe that's where I'll but, play it. But the, what I was asking, though, I mean, it, were you saying... It's not applicable to you because you wouldn't ever hook up a PC to your television or because if you did, you still wouldn't use this mode? No, it's because it would take a a re-engineering of my personal behaviors and sure. lifestyle mm-hmm. that I'm not quite willing but to like, do. I know. Maybe when I move and right. set up a new thing. But like, like, right. am I Steve Gaynor, who obviously is not here right now but has been on Idle Thumbs many times, oh. his home setup is his gaming PC is plugged into his living room computer. Right. Yes. That used to be for me as well oh, really? when I lived in San Francisco yeah. before. I, I how did do the same you do thing. that? What do you yeah. mean? Like, yeah, I mean like, I just, like, like, where, do you, where do you put the mouse on the keyboard? I have a hard time. Steve has a lap board. He's got a lap board, but man, I couldn't play Dota on that thing. I Steve would, had a, like, a bigger lap board that had a mouse. Far Cry 2 that way. We beat Far Cry really? 2 together sitting on Steve's couch with a mouse and keyboard. That's adorable. Is it comfortable? It was adorable. It was That's a blast. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, man. Maybe I want that experience now. I feel like I would yeah, have it was build And I can have it with bigger picture. It was really cool. It was nice when I... I haven't recently because I moved across the country twice and blah, blah, blah. I'm not really set up yet again. But when I lived in San Francisco before... My computer was just always hooked up to my TV, yeah. and I, it was great because I everything I ever needed to do with a screen, like other than my phone, I could do on that one device. I could watch Netflix, I could watch Hulu, I could play all my games. That's why I uh, that like was the when Mac I Mini, that was yeah. when I that was basically actually when I started just not using consoles anymore, pretty much. Like yeah, really I realized right. just everything was just there. This like, conversation was, is making like flames appear behind Gabe Newell as he rubs his hands <laughs> together, like Mr. Burns. Like that experience of playing PC games on my TV made me not buy consoles anymore. Yeah, but I mean, it was great. Like it was there was nothing. How do you buy Axe and Steam? Like I didn't miss anything because I didn't have to use that stupid. Like ad festered dashboard oh, and like so like six sixty dollar retail games like it was oh. I I really liked it I mean I still at this point don't really play console games yep. anymore but like that was what started me on that and only a big part of it was also just philosophically only needing one plastic big electronics box in my entire apartment yep. like mm-hmm. that was amazing like that was as a gamer we're so accustomed to having like six of these goddamn things like yeah or whatever however many it's, you know yeah, it's, it's just a used car lot underneath it's your funny, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like valve is doing something right with the big picture thing because sean when you first loaded up you're like or we said oh let's go to the store i haven't looked at that and then you went did they do the thing microsoft Ugh, oh they did it's totally like the xbox but then <laughs> the immediate thing that i saw you do after that silently was browse 20 games yeah, I know. I looked at a lot of games. Which is a thing that no one fucking does no. on the Xbox but, dashboard I mean, there as there currently is, There still is. There still is. Like, developer will yeah. tell you. <laughs> I'd be really... I'm sure they have data on this, but it's you know internal. But I'm really curious as to what the shelf space is on big picture versus not. You know, mm-hmm. like it digital seems, shelf space. It seems like it's smaller, but... Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's deceptively but, but, the same Right, that's size, the thing. Because what everyone does, when everyone talks about deep. Steam's catalog and going deep, I think most people who actually say that are talking about clicking through the five tabs on the homepage that are top ten, yeah. recent added, yeah. bestsellers uh, under five dollars and those are all the same tabs and the same number of games in big yeah. picture mode and then there's a search 
Yeah. So it yeah. secretly might be identical. No, right. I, saw actually, you, I saw you see me dive. I was like, he's going to bring that up. Yep. <laughs> I, better, I, better, I better start acting like it's clunky. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of you know earlier, the discoverability on Steam, that's one of the things that I, I love about Steam is that, and especially with the pace of game, I have no idea like how this will be affected by Greenlight. I guess it depends how many games are able to get through the Greenlight barrier. But the, one of the things I love about Steam is that, I th- generally speaking, like a single-digit number of games come out per week. Which means if you just check up on Steam once a week and you browse through those five tabs, which takes like 30 seconds to go through new releases, coming soon, uh, you know, under 10, under 5, like top sellers. Just, top just, sellers. Yeah, just, yeah, sale you just, or whatever, yeah. In the specials, yeah. yeah. Like you can see an amazing variety of games in mm-hmm. a relatively low amount of time, yeah. including stuff that's new, including stuff that's been out for a while. Evan, it sounded like you didn't agree with this. Oh, no, no. I mean, that that wasn't always the case. That was the case when they eliminated DLC sharing that space. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a good move. That was a great move. Thank God. Yeah. yeah when it wasn't just 400 Railworks trains. Yes. Like <laughs> um, and that's something that there is just – there is nothing remotely like that on Xbox Live. I mean, like, you yeah. could – you would never – It's, it's like nested as hell. You get your list from A to Z, or you, which is just the most meaningless possible yeah. well, I feel so bad for – I mean – for we're never taking a break. No, we're I feel not. really bad about uh, for Nels who works at Clay because hey, we should talk about that game. Mark of the Ninja yeah, is really sad. hard to find mm-hmm. on the Xbox as a, as a ninja game. It was well, yeah, no, um, yeah, I didn't see that on Twitter. Nels Anderson's ah, the, the you're totally feasting right now. Ah, Look at him. Oh, I was going <laughs> to actually talk about that game, but we're going to we're going to make noises, I guess. We're going to say Oh, I'm talking sorry, about Jake, Jake Rodkin. I'm I sorry wanted to seriously that, discuss a, a video game, which I have played on the Idle Thumbs podcast. Uh, this is Idle Thumbs. I know. Jake just grew his walrus mustache again instantly. <laughs> uh, we're here to discuss. We were, we're doing these serious book podcasts now, and it just makes me want it to really talk is, about the content at hand. It turned um, you into a real stickler for tone. I don't give a shit what we talk about. <laughs> I should just start armpit farting into the microphone right now. I actually don't know how to armpit fart. I've never mastered that really? skill. Really? Yeah. Can we teach dude, you? Dude, I went to. I went to. Uh, this stop, room's already warm pocket. enough. We're not <laughs> yeah, going to armpit fart in here. I grew up with a kid who could do it behind his knees. No, he'd lay on his he'd lay on his back and flap his legs. Logan Christie, if you're out there, oh, man, yeah, that's an ancient technique. Hands on the knees, <laughs> legs flapping like, like I don't even know. What? Whatever so you just my hands watch are doing. Kids' legs flap around and, and then hear fart sounds. sounds. You're in the, you're in the he, fifth grade. What spoiler? Do? He was actually just using that as an excuse to get out some to like actually. stationary crop dust, like some jumping jack farts. Hear that? It's my knees. Have we moved away from... Oh, go ahead. You were going to talk about farts, Mark? Poor Nels, by the way. Oh, don't let us interrupt you. Oh, Nels. Oh, he listens to the cast. Anyway, we'll talk about Mark Ninja some other time. Knee farts. (laughs) No, what were you going to say about farts, Evan? So so were you speculating that it was a cover system, basically? Like a a sort of a screen for actual farts? Yes. (laughs) That was the speculation. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, that's an incredibly advanced tactic for... uh, Right. uh, Guys, check it out. I can totally argue fart with my knees. Oh, thank God. Oh, God. His knees were just that big. Oh, Jake. Yeah, <laughs> you guys happy now? Look where I, look where I brought us. Uh, you end it. around this, by the way. I know. I mean, let's be I serious. Can't we're not talking seriously. Farts. <laughs> what if the guy was farting to cover seriously. up that he was farting? Jake's gonna go home. Dear diary, I pulled my greatest trick tonight. All I wanted to do was talk about farts for forty-five minutes, and I finally got them by saying and I wanted to do the opposite. I got to be indig- indignant as well. <laughs> I told it was my off. favorite idol. <laughs> <laughs> Best episode. Uh, Mark of the Ninja. Yes. Yeah. It's a good video game. The ninja's name is Mark. Well, I, I haven't actually played it since <laughs> yeah, that, in the, like nine months, but. Yeah. We played it a week ago. We played through. I mean, everyone else in the world who plays Xbox Live games or who plays Sweet Ninja games has played this already, but Sean and I played through 
the, like the first fifteen the, minutes. Yeah, the so first the first like packs level, I guess, which was their mm-hmm. packs demo. Took me a long time. I'm bad at games like this. So the first fifteen minutes took you a long. What does that mean? It took you fifteen. No, minutes. I don't know if it was the first fifteen. It minutes. seemed like it probably People, should have been less than oh, okay. fifteen minutes. It's probably content. the first five minutes for yeah. a fourteen year old who knows how to do games. Clay previously made uh, the the two Shank games, which are straight two D like. Brawlers. I guess like Double Dragons, yeah. Style and Eats. Yeah, I never played Eats. Is Eats? I, like, I I didn't play Shank, but I did play Eats, and I liked it a lot. Is Eats another two D game like that, or Eats is like a puzzle a puzzle platform okay, thing? Yeah. yeah, Mark of the Ninja, I think, more clearly draws from Shank. Oh, for sure. In just yeah. the, you're, yeah. except, um, not killing dudes. Yeah, I mean, Shank is all about just like the brawler. Yeah, brawl with dudes, kill them in crazy ways. Like uh, Clay knife Studios, yeah, knife a face. Clay is very animation focused. Like they have a lot of what seem to be Cartoon Network vintage uh, or style animators. So that means I think they have a few guys who actually come from yeah, Cartoon Network. They're, yeah, they're, they're world class. Their character animation is just fantastic. It's ridiculous looking. And Shank seemed like it was all about. Shank seems maybe like the style came first. Like it was. What if you're a dude who beats up a bunch of dudes? Because that would look sick when we animate it. You shank them. Yeah, you shank the shit out of them. But um, Mark of the Ninja has that same level of fidelity that Shank has, where it just feels very much like an, a 2D animated cartoon, but it's all about stealth gameplay. And the thing that I thought was, like, you, you play as a ninja who is sneaking around trying to accomplish a goal, like rescuing a person over the course of a map that has multiple paths. You sneak through vents. Wait for a guard to come by, pull him in, and kill them silently, or you drop onto a guy from the rafters and that sort of thing. Um, the thing that surprised me about it that I wasn't, I guess, that I wasn't expecting was that it's really visually open um, with with its systems. Like footsteps, oh, yeah. footsteps are not just sound effects, nor is there a radar. But like when when guys make footsteps or when your guy makes them, they actually just emit visual pulses out into the world. Like it's the game, really str- the game oh, uses it. So um, when characters are in darkness, they just get sort of. Uh, a shader, which I don't know if it's a shader because it's in 2D, but they get some sort of effect that just draws their outline, but their outline is really heavy. They don't disappear into shadow. Right. Well, their you, outline kind of stays in the last place you knew they were, which is oh, really right. cool. Well, there's, there's shadows, but mm. there's also, yeah. uh, like, your, your, your character has effectively a fog of war. So, like, when you walk past walls, you see um, almost as if you're casting a light where it's sort of the shadow of your perception turns that part oh. of the world into black and white and out of focus. And when guards yeah. disappear into that, they sort of leave one last ping and go away. So you know, yeah. I last so saw the, a guy there. the footsteps and the, the last yeah. sight thing is almost simulating like it's simulating perception. senses, but right. just in a physical yeah. way. And that, but it does that perfect thing where it just it goes outside of the sense, but makes you feel like it would feel. Yep, or right. you imagine yeah, and this is actually the best um, part of video games. Th- yeah. I'm going to jump way back to the PC Gamer panel that you were on, and I... Uh, oh, Dean Rocket guy, last name Hall. No, no, yeah. guy. Dean Rocket Hall. <laughs> He's French. One thing that he said uh, about when someone asked about what he wanted to do with Daisy in the future is he said, "I want to make Daisy more immersive by taking out the HUD." And I sat there and I was like, I was like clawing at my chair. I wanted to jump up because, um, as as like. That goes com- like I used to actually think that a lot. I yeah, used to yeah. really be I, into Idle like, Thumbs. Used to be all about that. Also, just like I think growing up playing adventure games where the world is your only point of interaction with the system, other than what your character has in your pockets. Like mm-hmm. that was the holy grail of at least like the adventure game space. That was like Tim Schafer was all about that with Grim Fandango. Like a lot of Telltale's games don't have any UI in them, and like that was always sort of my thing. Like immersive sim is best. Yeah. Or like well, cinematic adventure you don't need is immersive best. Immersive sim because those games are all about. No, UI. sorry. Either either or but like immersive simulation in a space. Like being mm-hmm. feeling like you're in a space is is not yeah. Immersive sim is a different as a genre. You're right. But sorry. Like 
that notion of if we can cut the UI out and it's just yeah, all yeah. less is more. If what like, you yeah. perceive is what you see, yeah. like Peter Jackson Jackson's King Kong, the official video game yeah, of the movie, but like, but was all about when that. when Dean Hall said like that in that panel. I, I thought to myself, I don't want to talk about Peter Jackson. But you always oh, <laughs> plays a T Rex in that, so it's sick. No, I was. Or just, you play I, as King Kong? I was, no, no, no. I, well, I don't care about Peter Jackson. I just remember when that game was coming out. That was a big people deal. People made a big deal because that was a, a Michelle Ansel game. Oh right. And there was like he. I'm pretty sure it was, and like. He was always talking about how his whole goal of this was to have a hudless game where you, you just experience the things. Yeah. I wasn't it, joking. I was bringing oh, it up because right. it, it seemed it, actually like what you It seemed about. crazy to me to, uh, in the context of DayZ because DayZ – and again, I'm, this is coming from a person who's never played it and has only watched little bits of it. DayZ wants to replicate the full, the full human experience but all you have is audio and video. Mm-hmm. So – not being like you don't have a sense of hunger, right? Just right. as a as a you can't per- feel how many bullets you have in your hand. About yeah, as a person, you yeah. know how heavy is this clip? How does my stomach feel? My leg is mangled, but like you can't convey that stuff mm-hmm. in, in a game without without the terrible future of games, right? Either we're gonna need to strap a bunch of shit onto a dude, um, you the per- the player, <laughs> or you need to show that stuff. And like people try to simulate that stuff like i mean you can in first person have the camera get wobblier you can up the exposure or you can sort of put the red like bloodlust cam on the side some of which we've done in games in the past um, just, or present it's just, it's just substitute for you either right, right I mean, but it's I, all just the same. I feel like at the same time <laughs> bloodlust yeah, by the way sorry the, it's, it is that bloodlust <laughs> cam but like to a at a certain point it becomes easier as a human to internalize uh to just map like your eye looks at the lower left corner to know how your legs are doing. Yeah, like just make right. peace with that because that yep. eventually just becomes invisible to people. Like your Absolutely. brain just develops a blind spot to that. So seeing like Mark of the Ninja, this game is beautiful, like beautiful, beautiful 2d game. Um, and like all of the character animation and stuff is, com- you feel it really, really uh, kinetically. But um, at the same time, it's got all these things popping up all over the place. Like the world is changing colors and fading in and out, and there's lines coming all over the place. And it was so good to see what is clearly a really art-heavy game and an art-heavy team being uncompromising with like these systems are just going to be well, on top of all of it. And I think we should we should because most people listening probably don't know. I mean, we should call out why that probably is, and I think a big reason for that is our our buddy Nels Anderson, who works at Clay and was the design lead. I don't know what his official role is, but he was the lead designer yeah. on that game. And uh, I'm sure that as a designer, he he brought... He's he's yeah. relatively new to Clay. He's been there, what, a couple of year, a year or two? Um, About two years. Yeah. But he's, like, it, he brought that sensibility to that game. And it's, it's awesome. it's, it was cool mm-hmm. playing through that at PAX and, like, I mean, all of those things are also really artfully done. Like, the little pings that come out of the feet and stuff are also... They still have a little hand-brushed look to them and stuff, but, mm-hmm. like... As a whole, just even aesthetically, I thought it was interesting to see all the weird shit going on. But um, after a while, it does just become invisible to your brain, and you just it, it conveys yep. the the sensory inputs that your main character has in, yeah. in a really cool way. Um, I don't know, Mark of the Ninja was oh. really sweet. You're talking about feedback, basically, yes. right? I mean, yeah. and and how I mean, like, and it's sort of been a classic aspect of some games that you know you want a lot of output for your input, right? Like small input, big output. I mean, take Peggle, right? I mean, you click once and you can get a rainbow and fireworks oh the joy and fireworks and you know you win you take call of duty and one kill can be right a guitar riff uh 100 experience points the guy actually dying and seeing that animation sound effect of your weapon firing you know just this cascade of feedback mm-hmm. um 
But yeah, that's not always the case, right? I mean, it's not always that more is more. I thought that, I, I mean, Market the Ninja has a ton of stuff going on, but all of it's actually relevant and you perceive it all sure. really clearly yeah. in a way that's like Peggle. Yeah, I mean, yes, people play Peggle because the the mm-hmm. amount of feedback you get is wild. But right. it, I thought it was cool in Mark of the Ninja. Well, you're playing the, you're playing it for the feedback essentially. It's, whereas it's, in, it's also I think it's different than a lot of stealth games, which try. I mean, like a Deus Ex type thing. There's there's still like radars and stuff, but most of it is trying to be what do you perceive coming out of the screen? What do you mm-hmm. the sound effects that your guy makes is all that you get? And like, did that guy see me? Is a big question. In yeah. Mark of the Ninja, mm. there's no ambiguity about whether or not you're seen. Right. Well, and I think I think those two games handle it in different ways that are each appropriate to the game at hand. Like mm-hmm. Mark of the Ninja is about this character who is supremely, supremely uh, competent at just detecting these things. I mean, that's the point of a ninja, yeah. at least, especially in, like in in sort of popular media. Yeah. Uh, whereas Deus Ex is a lot more about being a human. That's not. I mean, you're super augmented, so you're at a clear advantage mm-hmm. over most of your enemies. But you're on. You're supposed to be on somewhat more of a level playing yep. field, just in terms of your ability to just get shot and return fire, and like be behind cover and and you know be in an event and stuff. You're you're much more trying. You're. It's a little bit more of that uh, kind of situations um, spiraling into things. Whereas Mark of the Ninja is more about like maintaining supreme. Sure. competence over your situation. The, yeah. the feeling of the moments to me are actually kind of similar though, which was weird because just sure, the yeah, feeling yeah, of yeah. like observing patterns no, or totally. observing behaviors yep. from the shadows, then executing a thing. And often for me and for you, because I think it was our first time playing, yeah, things go wrong, things go wrong and yeah. you have to compromise and like jump into the shadows and hope the guy doesn't see you yeah. or whatever. Um, but it was really cool to see those behaviors and those systems using like what you were saying, I've been using the language of, console gaming or of casual stuff where it, yeah. the game is not afraid to pop shit up all over the place mm-hmm. but it's still like it's just really elegantly implemented yeah it makes yeah, me yeah. it makes me hope though that, that because they're doing that stuff uh, they can attract people who usually would be put off by something like uh, like a Deus Ex and but still you'll be able to get experience the feeling of sort of the, the colliding systems of a, totally. of a multi-path stealth experience mm-hmm. but through the the aesthetic of this weird cartoon thing that then is firing off uh, bursts of color and light all over the place like a casual game does. It's neat. Yeah. Anyway. So, awesome. so I'm curious, um, because I, I haven't actually touched Mark and Ninja myself, mm-hmm. but so I'm always curious how de- games that have like detection focus mechanics mm-hmm. handle enemies noticing you. So how does it convey that? Because like, I mean, Metal Gear, for example, or other games, you'll actually hear a voice clip. Yeah. yeah, that or like a sentry or guard will say something like, mm-hmm. like, did I hear something or what's that? Like, I don't actually remember. No, there's some of that. It's a lot. It's, I, there it's are, similar. There are guard barks. Yeah, but I don't remember all the specifics. I mm-hmm. just remember knowing that I was seen really easily. And I'm sure they have some lines that come up over their head or some okay. sort of thing yeah, where the way yeah, that there's no ambiguity changes or that you're like something lights up differently on the screen, but I don't remember yeah. what the details. There's also is. like, you can do the thing where like, like in Metal Gear where if you push them too hard, like they're like on red alert, you yeah. know, and then you have to like, go yeah, you get the, huh? time. Okay. Huh? Yeah, you have to, and then your timer goes down. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's very, very traditional in that sense, yeah. but the way that it, all that stuff is then represented to the player, given their, aesthetic is top-notch you guys should totally check that game out you know what's horrible there are two things that are horrible one i think we're getting close to running out of time we're doing a non-break two we i don't think we're gonna have time for reader mail because we've all actually got to get going three we are big shits because we didn't talk about the daisy documents which came to light we should do so maybe we should close on that we should close because chris like two episodes ago teased the oh, some, some documents have some new shit has it's come the, to yeah. light. I mean, it's like at this point, it's one of those things that. And now we're like just talking about outpaced by a type. But yeah. like, there's two things on. So your mind will be blown. There's, there's one. There's one. This will take 30 seconds. 
Um, when we were talking about Greenlight, I meant to read this. I thought this was interesting. This was an, uh, a forum post from um, Stark Fan on the Idle Thumbs forums. He's one of our community members uh, who's also an indie developer. And he said, I really don't know whether Steam Greenlight is good for indie developers or not. We have our game stained on Greenlight. We were about to send our final build to Steam last month, but then they stopped talking because of Greenlight. Our game looks polished. We have a demo available, but it's not getting any notice. Um, so that was uh, – the game's called Stained, and it's on Greenlight. And that was – I seeing that post was one of the things that – um, kind of informed my early opinion of Greenlight, especially seeing uh, other posts to that effect. Um, that's the kind of thing that worries me, um, or one, one of the sorts of things that worries me, in addition to the kind of more general philosophical points we were talking about earlier. Um, so anyway, that, I just wanted to bring that up because mm. I thought it was interesting. Um, separately, we have... Uh, I just wanted... We actually, in the game, Daisy in the stream, if you remember, if you watched it, that is, uh, <clears throat> uh, Evan and I... Um, I, I was playing at this point, um, swapping in for Sean, who played for most of it. Um, we had been traipsing around with this, this fucking badass with a crazy rifle and uh, a ghillie suit. Who chased us for a full 10 minutes. Yeah, who just, who just stalked us, basically. Oh, God. Been he was doing the thing that minutes. Evan talks about doing, where you survey. I wanted you dead to be dead <laughs> already. We were, we were on the receiving end of that. And, um, and, yeah. and we were we, you know, just going through this world. We met up. Um, I met up with Evan. In the game as well, we we're all three of us were together. And then, um, if you want to quickly, Evan, recap like what happened uh, towards the end of the stream. Yeah. So he he first approached us at we were when we were like breaching this factory. We we're sort of that was our goal in the middle of the map. And then we we're going to make you know he we we stumbled into him as you described, and uh, he's like, "Well, I didn't kill you, so what you want to do?" <laughs> yeah. That was an amazing moment, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So we we decided to head northeast to this town called uh, Berezino, which is sort of a, a larger town in in Chernarus, the the world of Daisy and Arma Two, and we're scouting out. And he reports that he sees somebody yeah. as we're sort of at the outskirts, outskirts of town. Yeah, and he's like, you know, get down. We get under just some evergreen trees. So tense. So yeah, the tension really in the room was, was like yeah. thick. And, like, yeah, oh. and. and you know, I'm immediately just trying to get more information. Like, okay, where do you see these guys? You know, what direction? How many? What guns? Because that information determines what we're going to do. Yeah. I'm basically not saying anything at this point, and like Evans just like grilling this guy for as much information as he can possibly yeah. get. I'm also, like, oh, the, the tone of your voice changed. Like when you talk to that guy for the first time, yeah, it was so. It was it, watching it, it sitting in the room. The tone of your voice changed, and there was a sort of this. Hint of fear and calm, but also calmness. This is and very just polite. Sort of like, yeah, yeah, no, we're just having a good time here. There's like guys like talking to the cops or something. Right. So yes. like you're basically yes. like you're being mugged, maybe kind yeah. of. It's like, hey, we don't want we don't want any trouble. Just it's me, and my buddy. He showed me the game for the first time. Just could you not point that gun at the back of my head? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, sorry. So, no, no, no. It's fine. So yeah, he reports that he sees some enemies, and I think he events, ends up telling us that there are like three of them or something. Okay, well, that's tough. Um, so we try and egress. We run away southwest, I guess. And we never, like from inside this office, never saw these enemies. Oh, no. We did not. So yeah. we're trusting this guy completely at this point. Um, you know, we kind of had reason to. He hadn't killed us. I mean, hadn't given us any, any reason not to. So we were retreating. We're retreating, like, up this hill into some trees. You know, in, in Daisy, when you're, when you're seeing or you're in danger, you just want to get in forest, basically. You know, eliminate visibility. And um, 
it's at this point, I think that he says he, after a few minutes that he sees somebody else or we hear, we hear a gunshot or something, right? It was definitely a gunshot. There's a gunshot. Cause I yeah. heard it moving left to right. And I was like, Chris is coming from the left. And he was just like on his belly spinning sort of yeah. like kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we're, we're in this, this sort of like, also you can hear gunshots go left to right. Sorry. It's amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of fidelity. So like Chris actually, and, and both of us, we position ourselves to sort of rotate around the trees a bit. Exactly. We're using the trees cover based on what we think it is. And we're sort of staying there, just you know, trying to get eyes on whatever might be up the hill shooting at us. And there's one more shot that dings really close to Chris and like hits the tree above his head or something. And I'm like about to tell you to run or something. And, and this second shot comes in. I'm like 50 meters behind you on yeah. another tree. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I remember exactly how the shot traveled. It hit the ground first, ricocheted off the ground, hits you. If you go back and it watch the stream, right in the side of his body, if I remember. Yeah, and oh, and it makes that just that bullet whap. Totally. Oh God. And um, <laughs> horrible. And you go down, and I, I think you die instantly. No, I don't. No, you I don't. Start to like. Oh, you start to that, like, you start to bleed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you probably run, or and then I got hit again. Yeah, you took yeah, another yeah, hit. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, I'm just... You booked it. Yeah. I had to make a decision because, I mean, obviously, if you, can see, if you can see Chris, you can see me running up to Chris and trying to heal him or something, unfortunately. Um, so I hide. I threw a smoke grenade at some point to try and like get up there and do something. But I, I follow our, 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 our ghillie-suited friend down the hill and... Um, you know, just you guys left Chris to die though. Kind of, yeah, that was probably no, he, gone by that point. Yeah, yeah. Oh. he's gone. Yeah, because yeah. at that point we so when did you guys to, like, the stream in? embedded reporter about and, there like, brought the brought the camera over to Evan's actual computer. Yeah, screen. I brought the webcam oh, right, right. there and brought it yeah. over here to shoot yeah. his screen. But then that was about the end of it. Except, well, what's crazy is in like the last three frames of the of yeah. the stream, and Sean and I did not notice this at the time. No, we didn't notice. Uh, this is like, this is like stream, a found footage. This movie. is the like Zapruder film. film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you watch the stream, and it doesn't even show up sometimes because sometimes Twitch TV cuts it off right before the end, just because of the way their their player works. But like sometimes when you're watching it in the like the, like the last third frame, as like someone's mm-hmm. arm moves out of the way, you see that Evan's screen is full of the "you are dead" message. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, it was a crazy. Yeah, and, and so what happened was, I I typed this guy like, "Hey, I'm a, you know we're gonna go." We didn't tell him that we were streaming. He didn't know we were streaming or anything. Yeah, which is but, important, right? It's that, that's important. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, we you, had to hide certain elements of the UI so people can't figure out what server we're totally. on because we will see that you're streaming. Find your server and then yeah and. And in my headset, as soon as I finish typing this, he says, well, it's been nice playing with you. And he says something like, but I just want to let you know that you've been stream sniped. And then he shoots me point blank with his sniper rifle. <laughs> oh, my God. So this guy tracked us to, like for the purpose of like slow burn killing us or something, yeah. you know, uh, to, to sort of like. So the guy who was killing Chris was with this guy secretly and wasn't talking to you. I think they're actually different I groups. Think, I think they were different crews. So you were you were stream sniped the, by two separate crews. The reason I think Maybe. that is because Maybe. we really? got we then after the stream was over the document we got yeah we got this oh we got gosh. a Twitch TV message yeah from uh, user Tango Wrangler. He says, "I'm sorry for the kill there, but it was fun tracking you guys down for a bit." We started. <laughs> like, he uh, he talked. He, he goes. It's too long to read this part, but he goes on for a while about how he found us on how he found what server we were on. Blah 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 blah. How did he find it? Just can you give us a, a quick? Is it? It's, it's impossible. Okay, whatever. It's not worth it right now. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, it just has to do with like seeing things in your in your UI and like, okay. determining your name yeah. and stuff like that. Anyway, he says there were four of us actually hunting you down, each from different angles. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> oh man, so you, you were clever girls, in fact. Yeah. Is what uh, yeah, yeah, telling yeah. your location based on your surroundings. Clever girl. <laughs> we telling your location based on your surroundings didn't take more than a few minutes. A few of us were streaming on other PCs to track your location. There were two of us who wanted to kill you, and the other two just wanted to link up and, and game around a bit. There was some discussion about the final outcome, though. 
however, I was the stream sniper, so he was the long-range guy who killed me. Um, when you spotted player A and player B in the woods, they simply wanted to say hello, but my instinct kicked in to get the kill in case he went, <laughs> in case he went to shot. The M107 was aiming very low, as the distance was more than 200 meters. The distance was no more than 200 meters, so I had to take more than a few shots than normal to get the kill. It's too bad I ended the stream and I stopped your fun. I planned on taking out Evan first, as he was more experienced and therefore the threat. <laughs> the result would have been a frantic, what do I do and where is he? That's I only a fucking a, letter from the Zodiac. Yeah, yeah, I only had a clean shot at Mike's character. I was going by Mike in the game. And clean is a bad reference, as it took a total of seven to get the kill. Uh, as mentioned in the stream chat, you were killed by a Foreign Legion veteran. I also served in the U.S. Army in many roles, including sniper, infantry, and correctional officer of Fort Lillard. <laughs> Holy <Lillenworth>. shit! <laughs> yeah. In the end, it was a good stream. Sorry for the in- investigation and kill. Regards, Tango Wrangler. Um, so that was that was that guy. So you were taken down by a military specialist of some kind, apparently. Yeah, well, a former sniper. Well, can we take the the moment to appreciate that this guy wrote this elaborate, like probably thousand word note to, yeah. to us? Yeah. I mean, like partly probably because he felt like he had to. Yeah, he, 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 had, he had to like the get, gravity of the game yeah. because of the permadeath and because of the systems. Well, well he, not yeah. only not only did he want to construct a story for himself, he needed to spread the story to us and to make yeah, sure we absolutely. knew the full context absolutely. of what yeah. you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You needed to know that you were sort of help. Oh, I get messages like these all the time when I'm playing Call of Duty on my Xbox. Oh, you do. It usually says like like lol 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 lol, mm. and then like an epithet. It's very similar, I think. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's about the same thing. Yeah. Same sentiment, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? But mm-hmm. uh, apparently mm-hmm. we were killed by the best. Yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> killed by the best. And then, a few days later, we got an email to questions at althumbs.net um, from Dan Gray saying, Howdy, just got done listening to your latest awesome free entertainment hour. Um, Chris made mentions of documents pertaining to the Daisy stream, which I suspect involved myself. First off, I'll apologize again for sniping you chaps, um, particularly for inflicting so much downtime midstream. Um I can't gift y'all half an hour through Steam. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. Um, he can't give us back the time that he took. Is what oh, yeah. Saying. yeah. Secondly, assuming my last correspondence might be pod material, I would expand upon the topic of player-character bonding. Um, and then, it's, this is really interesting, he just writes several paragraphs about uh, about DayZ and like what it involves. He says, yeah. DayZ engages the player in so much uh, banal activity, eating, drinking, looking at maps, riding a bike, and general downtime, running, waiting for a friend, the prone zone. That's something extraordinary happens. We... Uh, we experience, um, I guess, what, so a Katamari effect, he says. We travel along, rolling up more and more of the world into our shared experience. Um, the state was glancingly sought in Quantic Dreams, Fahrenheit, and Heavy Rain through similar but less pervasive experiences. Personally, both games failed, in my opinion. For one, the contrivedness of the plot and worlds is at odds with the brief simulations of the banal. There's not enough yawn-inducing crap for the supernatural to stand out. Rather, it's the supernormal that seems out of place. That's a really excellent point, I think. Yeah, Video games fail on that constantly. It's a huge failing. Well, too much emphasis on the hero fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Like it's the mundane things that end up being remarkable in games. Often, quite not always, but often. Mm -hmm. Um, He continues. Contrast that with Shenmue and its sequel, a pair of games so obsessed with minutia and daily grind that punching time slips and paying rent can actually obscure the central quest. Despite that potentially game destroying obfuscation, Shenmue's character and story are among the most enduring. Um, uh, Also, punching dudes through a mailbox becomes more awesome when you just (laughs) fold up your laundry. No doubt. (laughs) Uh, He says so. Anyway. Somewhere between cowering in terror, eating snicker, and committing un- snickers and competing unspeakable acts, Daisy characters get wrapped up in mundane Katamari, and the player's emotional experience develops a range of fidelity not found anywhere else that I know of. Um, so this is the guy who shot you? Apparently so. So a fucking best guy. Holy shit. This is like a modern samurai that's like giving us yeah. this <laughs> extreme, like... He worked in his yeah. rhetorical skills while he was in the Foreign Legion, apparently. Yeah. God. A good, a good yeah. man. How honorable. Awesome. How honorable indeed. Yeah. yeah no kidding. Um, so that was, 
Daisy is a crazy game. FYI. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it for this. We week. were killed by the best murderer. Yep. <laughs> the most God, you were killed by the best is such like that's that sounds legit. But then you were killed by the best murderer. <laughs> it takes it to a different place. <laughs> Evan, thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, all of you who are yeah. very thanks, hot guys. office. We'll have to have you on again someday, be it for a podcast or a Daisy stream or whatever. I'll have to have one of you on PC Gamer. Sweet, yeah, yeah. one or more. Thanks a lot. Bye, guys. See you guys. Bye. Uh, questions at alfums.net. Idle Subscribe thumbs. to us on iTunes. <laughs> you can visit the Idle Thumbs website at idlethumbs.net slash idlethumbs. A ridiculous URL that is real. <laughs> oh, and if you want to see the uh, photos of the PAX meetup from PAX, go to blog.idlethumbs.net. It's there. And finally, last thing, this Saturday we are going to do a Saturday morning stream of the original XCOM with uh, Evan Lottie and JP LeBreton, who is an expert at that game. So please tune in for that, probably around 11 a.m. Pacific time. Video games! I thought, and I haven't even seen her breasts in all this time. (laughs) Felt them, but not seen them. Also, she's completely wrong about Dvorak and Tchaikovsky. What's more, I'll be able to play my LP of Un Homme de et une femme as often as I like, openly. Video game. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Evan Lottie, in, in executive conclusion. editor of PC Gamer, just to identify exactly who was just <laughs> recounting those memories. Just now. Of his. They are memories. Yeah. Direct memories, yeah. Yeah. Well, is there any such thing as a direct memory? Is there any such thing as an indirect memory, Sean? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Oh. Hmm. 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 Listen to the mm. Idle Book Club to find out. <laughs> <laughs> These questions and more conclusively answered on the Idle Book Club. Okay. Uh, Idle Book Club does what Julian Barnes don't. Answer those questions. <laughs> I'm Nick Brecken. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but am I Nick Brecken? <laughs> I got Brecken. Wait, who are you, Sean? I'm Nick Brecken. <laughs> Damn it. It took like three months. <laughs> it took like three months it, until it took, I'm Nick it Brecken. It took Nick a year to become Nick Brecken. Games. 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 Games.